So you're listening to this podcast. Maybe you want to make a podcast of your own. Well, Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast direct to Spotify. Everywhere else podcasts are heard as well. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And if you want to take the conversations of your fans to the next level, you can even do Q&As and polls direct through that same feed. Spotify for podcasters. Get it now. Had a mini heart attack there. I just kept getting the spinning circle of doom. I didn't know if we were actually going to go live on time or not. I'm like, am I going to have to replay this open? Anyway, I'm just waiting. waiting. It is Friday night. You know what that means. It is time for the new streamlined edition of Smack Talk here on the Sports Gator Wrestling YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook channels. Get your questions in, get your comments in. What's going on, Ozzy, Nigel, and Steven? And Lisa and everybody else who is here joining us after, I guess a a a, a SmackDown. There there was a show on tonight. It, we'll 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 talk. There was definitely two hours of a show, and then Rampage was on. So that's 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 all good. We appreciate everybody who is uh, joining us here tonight. Hi Amanda. Hi everybody else. Dutch, how you doing this evening? I detect some bias in that tone of your voice. <laughs> Ah, I don't know if it's bias. I'm I'm just saying there was definitely that. I think that's about the nicest thing I can say about Smack uh, SmackDown tonight, Sid. It was a show that was on television that they produced. I I can say something nice, Dutch, about SmackDown. It happened. Well, it's nice, over. It's the over. Nice thing is that it's over. See, I think people go to sleep watching it. <laughs> That's what I think. Uh, <laughs> I had to have two cups of coffee to get through all three hours of uh, professional wrestling. Things hooked, heated up again, as we said when we talked about the uh, SmackDown here. But, uh, okay, look. So, uh, guys, feel free to get your comments in, get any questions in uh, that you want uh, to for Dutch, what have you. Uh, Sid, real quick, I, I feel like we we need to touch on it, and Steven, uh, Steven's bringing it up here. Uh, Ten WWE superstars released today uh, from NXT. Obviously a sad day. Uh, some head scratchers here, uh, Sid. I think we, we've talked about Dakota Kai before, and I've, I've even said that I was like, I, I'm not sure what her long-term future was with the company because I didn't see her as talented as she is. I didn't see her as somebody that they would seriously push on the main roster. And uh, Sean Rossap from FIFA Select, he's the one who broke all of these, says, hey, look, she wasn't going to re-sign up you know, with the company anyway, same with Malcolm Bivens. So a lot of these kind of make sense, but then you still have some, some head scratchers. And I think the biggest one was Parker Bordeaux. And this was a guy that was brought in highly touted. Looks like Brock Lesnar got this, you know, seal of approval from um, pretty much everybody on the roster. Everybody was really hyped about this guy. He's been in the company for a whole year at this point. And they've decided to go ahead and, and and cut bait with him after they were the ones that shaved his head, put him on TV real quick and called him Harland and made him a mute and didn't really let him do a whole lot. This one's puzzling to me. 
like he was the one that kind of fit the mold on what NXT said they wanted to do with this whole rebrand and what they were doing at the performance center with less independent guys and more collegiate athletes. He gave up football to do professional wrestling and then they just cut him. So it's like you said that they kind of their reasoning is they didn't think that he progressed enough in the ring. And it's just like, that's what developmental is for. Like you either, it seems like WWE either keeps people too long in the performance center right. or doesn't keep them long enough. And this is a guy that seemed like he was a round peg that they tried to fit into a square hole. He's a collegiate athlete. He has some grappling background from amateur wrestling and they basically tried to make him the spooky tall guy. And yeah. tried to make him. They work turned him like... into Uncle Fester, is what they did. They 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 dressed him up like Uncle Fester and put him with a mouthpiece in in Joe Gacy, who is uh, his character's developing more and more, and he's getting a little bit better every week. Um, now he finds himself, you know, with Braun Breaker. But Dutch, kind of walk me through this because you you've talked about the performance center before. They bring in this highly touted athlete that Paul Heyman says is the next Brock Lesnar, right? Like gets the major seal of approval. And then they only give him really a year to develop and they decide he's not progressing quickly enough. I mean, how bad would somebody have to be in the ring for them to have to bring in a guy that looks as great as he does and then say, all right, after a year, we're done. Because they've had Raquel well, Rodriguez was at the Performance Center for three years before she was ever on television. So it, they keep that they keep that Aaliyah girl for seven years. And they keep this guy, you say, for a year. And you said he was coming along. Well, Aaliyah didn't come along, and she's still not there after seven years, and they brought her up. So there is no trying to make sense of the corporate moves this company makes. Because I don't think it's based on wrestling. I think it's just based on if they like you or not. And if they don't like you, well, we'll just get somebody else. Because all the parts are interchangeable anyway. It doesn't matter. You know, if they get rid of him, they'll replace him, and he'll go somewhere else. He'll probably be forgotten. But there's, there's no way I can make sense of it. And I couldn't even make sense of it 20 years ago when they were doing this stuff. But at least it had more of a – you could kind of figure out they had a reason for it. This is just – when they when they put that guy in their Nick Khan, I think he's calling all these shots now, I think – and I don't know how much Vince has to do with it. But, I mean, Vince is the top dog. He'll eventually have to – well, he don't have to own up to nothing, really. I mean, he can just do – he can just fade in the background and let Nick answer it. But makes makes no sense at all. Because I, I didn't think they were making wrestlers. They were making content, and that's all they're doing. I, I will say with, the, with their new NI deal, NIL deal, right, like they're going to be bringing in a ton more – collegiate athletes and you know other semi-professional athletes into the company so maybe they feel like hell we're gonna have a fresh cycle of new talent and if people aren't picking it up as quickly as we want to well screw it we'll just move on to the next guy like or next girl so i could kind of maybe see how that might play a role into it but even still there were a few other head scratchers tonight and and steven brings up a couple of them here you had dexter and persia parada who have been two of your more featured people on 
on NXT for the last several months. And then all of a sudden it's like mid storyline. Now they're gone. And Sean Ross up again, the guy who broke the news says there's some, there's some producers backstage Sid, uh, in NXT who are a little, uh, pissed and miffed off about this one. Yeah. These two get got Dutch. No, the producers are pissed. Did you say yeah, because these two were heavily featured in storylines. Hell, they just put Dexter Loomis in a tag team with Duke Hudson uh, two weeks ago, and now they've well, completely pulled the rug out from under them. If they don't respect the talent, that tells you about that. They don't respect the writers either. You know, the writers will kind of put their bibs in. Oh, we need to keep this one and this one this one because they saw something in them. But they just overlooked their, uh, their suggestions and, and did what they wanted to do. Well, but you know what they say. If you don't like it, hey, we'll get you another job. But they shouldn't do that. Really. They should listen to these people. Yeah, like Dexter Loomis, he was featured quite a lot. Like they did the whole wedding uh, ceremony on the rebrand for 2.0. Persia Parada has been used with Indy Hartwell. It's like this NXT tag team division, a uh, women's tag team division can't catch a break at all. Yeah, no, and you know it's it sucks. Um, you know, you never want to see people, you know, lose their jobs. But it, you know, I, 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 I think this is also part of the, you know, them turning NXT back into a fully developmental brand. So it's you're you're not going to see people who are going to be sticking around for years and years and years in NXT. And some of these people have been around for for quite a while. Uh, Dakota Kai had been there for several years. Dexter Loomis had been there for several years. And if they don't have plans for these people on the main roster and they run out of things for them to do in NXT, you know, sadly, I think this is the the only other option they're really going to have for some of these people because they do have a lot more talent that are going to be coming in that they want to get on television. And not to, you know, wipe over. I know we talked about it, but the Harlan one, it's just, it's, that is the, like you said, that's the biggest head trasher yeah. because not only was he a collegiate athlete that they could mold, like they said, they wanted to do with all these new recruits to the performance center, but he was legit had the making to be a mainstream crossover type yeah. of superstar who was friends with Kevin Durant from the NBA, Rick Ross, who's a rapper, uh, West side gun. Like he had all these connections on social media, had a presence on social media, that was connecting with people outside of professional wrestling, getting attention from Kevin Durant to the world, who Kevin Durant really cares about anything outside of the NBA, let alone on the basketball court sometimes, if you saw the last series. But yeah, so like it doesn't make sense with a lot of these moves. And then Malcolm Bivens, it really is a testament to WWE really aren't trying to have a lot of managers because you have someone like Malcolm Bivens and then we look at the main roster, even tonight's show, like someone like Ronda Rousey, who has it, in different places, but we've all established it's not on the mic she's really good at. And you have Malcolm Bivens, who's a great mouthpiece, who can talk, who's very charismatic, who could have put over Ronda Rousey a lot better than WWE has done since her return as her manager. And he's now gone from the company because they really did not know what to do. They kept miscasting him, putting him with Indu share. And that lasts a couple of weeks, putting him with the original diamond mine and the original diamond mine idea had Roderick strong, Tyler Russ, Hideki Suzuki, Marina Shafir. And the only person left is Roderick strong. And I'm scared for Roger because he's so talented and I've watched him for almost 20 years, but Dakota Kai got a lot of tryouts on the main roster matches on main event. And now she's let go. 
It's the same thing that happened to Bronson Reed. And Roger Strong was another one who got a lot of tryouts and matches on main event. And he's still with the company. I don't I hate to say someone's on borrowed time, but it does not look good right now. And again, to again, to be fair, according to Sean Rossap, uh, Malcolm Bivens and Dakota Kai both made it clear they were not going to re-sign with the company and their contracts were up soon anyway. So that, that well, part, but, but that's part me, of me, the reason. That's let, me just, let me just say this. There's a reason why they, they did 100%. not want to re-sign. They saw the 100%. writing on the wall because too many people say that as an excuse for WWE making their decision. There's a reason why they didn't want to re-sign and they saw the re- this release coming because NXT was not doing anything with Dakota Kai. They were not doing anything with the with the Diamond Mind idea that Malcolm Bivens basically had to push for, and it was pitched to him after they ran out of options for him what to do with he, him. So he wasn't going to resign last year until they they put Diamond Mind on television, and then you see how this goes, and they never really committed to anybody in Diamond Mind or never really got behind the company, and that's like, all right, yeah, now I'm out of here. I 100% agree with you. There are reasons why these people aren't wanting to resign. But if they're telling the company, hey, we're not going to resign, and then the budget cuts come around, those are the kind of people that are going to be, you know, on the chopping block, uh, unfortunately. Somebody had a question up here. Uh, yes, Miguel, how are they going to explain Indy Hartwell now rolling solo? Dutch, you've said it once, you've said it again. Well, they're just going to pretend like it never freaking happened. If somebody asks a question, they say, in, 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 in my Vince persona, just pretend it never happened, pal. That's the same thing that they did with, uh, uh, you know, Wesley. There was no explanation for Wesley after Nash Carter was let go with everything that went on him. It's just, hey, I'm riding solo now. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Andy Hartwell for a couple of weeks and then they bring her back. Same with Duke Hudson. Duke, uh, every every storyline that's been centered around Andy Hartwell and Duke Hudson for the last several weeks, several months, crumple it up throw it away. Got to come up with something new. All right, let's dive into these shows tonight here, boys. Uh, let's start off with do SmackDown. We do. we do have to Dutch. We're contractually obligated to talk about both of these shows. Um, and, and you want to talk about absolute head scratchers. Uh, Sid, you alluded to it at the top of the show. The one match for WrestleMania backlash that everybody was looking forward to that WWE has really put time and effort into building and getting the audience intrigued and set up with this huge tag team unification match. All of a sudden, you want to talk about just throwing it out the damn window, all right? Now, all of a sudden, we get one fight between Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns, and all Paul Heyman has to do is go to Adam Pearce and say, no, screw your damn unification match. We're going to do this bigger and better match, this six-man tag team match with no titles on the line. So you have four championships tied up into one match at WrestleMania Backlash, and there is literally no stakes involved. Unless next week on SmackDown, they make this winner-take-all, this match is pointless and could have been a match on the go-home show. I was thinking from this whole entire segment that that's what they were going to do. They were going to do the six man. And then they, you, I thought on this show, they would book Drew versus Roman. That would be the main event of WrestleMania backlash. But no, they're giving us the six man tag with no stakes after weeks 
They devoted weeks to not only this show, but to also Monday Night Raw to push this champion, this winner take all uh, champion versus champion battle. And then they just said, you know what? Forget it. We're going to do a six man tag. This company, it's either it's either impressive or (laughs) deeply disappointing how much they give no dams about what people invest in. If you invested in this rivalry, they don't give a damn about that. They just booked a whole different match. It's quite I'm actually impressed. I've watched this company long enough, so I'm actually impressed by the lack of giving a damn that they have. That's to me. Dutch, to me, this screams that they just decided they didn't want to unify the tag team titles afterwards and decided to to go in another direction. Oh, I may have been asleep during that part, but I'm glad you told me this because I didn't realize that's what they did. I, I don't understand it. I'm saying you can't understand it. So we're wasting our time trying to put some kind of plausible answer to this because there is none. They, they're lost again. When we first, When I first started doing this show, I said they were lost. They've been lost for one whole year, and they've never even come out uh, of the gate. And when I saw that Randy Orton and uh, they are getting closer to my prediction, Randy Orton and and Roman Reigns, I thought they were working that way to it right here for a second. But apparently there aren't. They can. They they'll probably go to it later because I don't think that I don't think they could miss that. I really don't. I mean, if everything else, the bench is so weak anyway, and they're getting the bench looking better now, and they throw all their baskets in one match instead of spreading it out. I I make no sense out of it at all, and I can't at all. I mean, would it really have been that bad of a thing to put Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns for the championship on this card and just kept the tag team title unification match? Drew's not not beating them for the title anyway, more than likely. They would have had to beat... Drew again. I've already beat him how many times. I mean, he hasn't lost in a while, but yeah, he would have lost to Roman Reigns again. Unless they're saving that for what's the next pay-per-view after this one? Hell in a cell. Yeah, unless they're saving Drew and Roman for Hell in a Cell. Okay. Then save it. You had the, you had a match that people were invested in. A, a a main event. You had a main event caliber match. You honestly, you didn't need to shoehorn Roman Reigns into this card. You he hadn't been featured at all for the last four weeks and all of a sudden you're a week out from paper you and it's like well we got to get roman reigns in here real quick i don't get it i mean to be fair to them maybe they do believe you had to get roman reigns because maybe the take this this pay-per-view is not sold out and that's the way they're gonna sell some extra tickets putting roman reigns their biggest star on this show and they didn't they didn't believe in shinsuke nakamura to make that the title match they didn't think that they thought it was too soon to do drew mcintyre and that's why they made this a six-man tag because and especially I think they're not going to make this winner take all because there's some mystery if it's not winner takes all of who's going to win this one. It because it can be, you know, Drew and RK Bro win this to really set up Drew as a contender for Roman Reigns or it can be another another time that they make the bloodline look dominant. So, it's a little more mystery if they don't make it winner takes all because I think if they make it winner takes all, it's obvious the bloodline's going to win. Yep. If they make it winner take all, you know Roma's not going to He's not going to lose. So then I'll, I don't know what they do. I think they're confusing. They're confused themselves. 
And when they go talk to Vince, I think it gets more confusing. I don't know, because who knows? Uh, talk about the show. I mean, we talk all night. But we're I mean, going to up in the same spot. What the F are they doing? I mean, they could protect Roman Reigns by having an Uso <laughs> lose that match, but like, but then you ruin the fact that you know you've taken away his 600 plus day title reign by having somebody beat Jay or Jimmy Uso. Could create an interesting storyline, but I think that would be dumb when you have a chance to make somebody by having them actually beat Roman Reigns, and that should be Cody Rhodes at uh, SummerSlam. Uh, Dutch, let me ask you a question. Uh, trying to make some sense of something else. What's the point of a beat the clock challenge if there's nothing to win? I have no idea. It doesn't even make sense. Why would you even? Do I mean, it's, it's, that was their main event tonight. It was, it was totally stupid. And then her going out there and attacking that goo, what's his name? Gulak? Gulak, yeah. Gulak. What, what the hell? I can possibly lead somewhere because, you know, they've been beating his ass for, what, a month. So I don't know. Where, I don't know. Here, here's the thing, right? So, like, if if Drew Gulag had actually been, like, screwing up at each of these jobs, that would make sense to why they're trying him out at something else, even though they should just be using him as a wrestler. But, okay, you want to you wanna take Drew Gulak and you say, okay, he we tried him out as an, as an interviewer, then we tried him out as Adam Pierce's assistant, now we're trying him out as a timekeeper. He didn't screw up any of those jobs. He just got his ass beat and attacked at the end of them. So it's well, like... But at, least, but at least, in his defense, you're seeing it. Right. You're seeing TV, and it's not hurting him, it's helping him. No, I agree there. But what I'm saying is, again, the theme of this episode, it doesn't make sense. Yep. This, they can this do a lot with sense. Why would Ronda, or excuse me, why would Charlotte attack Drew Gulak unless Drew Gulak actually did screw up and cost Charlotte the beat the clock challenge because he didn't keep the time correctly? Well, that's that would have she, at least made some sense. That's what she was saying, right? That's what she said, but it wasn't factual. It wasn't even close. Well, that makes her a heel in in their eyes because she's trying to blame someone that had nothing to do with the I reason why she won the she lost the beat the clock challenge. But the real issue here is you when you do the same thing week after week, it's a law of diminishing returns. It doesn't get over the same way the first time did. The first time Charlotte beat up Drew Gulak, that worked, and we all said that we liked that segment last week when Ronda did it that was okay because she was trying to match and kind of out I, you know I'll, i'm better than you and i can do it better than you and beat them up and sign a contract at the same time that was fine tonight it was just it was in front of a dead crowd and it was just like that's how you end this show that's how you end this episode and it's the same thing with drew and Sami Zayn. they had a fine opener a good opening matchup inside the steel cage but honestly I did not care because they gave us the same match for a month. It did not. It, it, this was not no steel cage match that I'm going to remember in two weeks. I'm not going to remember the steel cage match. I might remember it happened because I have a good memory, but I'm not going to remember anything that happened during it. So that's the issue. Let me ask you something. And happy. What's his name? Happy. What? Corbin. Yeah. <laughs> I want to call him Goldman. Happy Corbin, and he turned his back, and all of a sudden there was uh, his ex-partner in there, Madhouse. Did he come down with the trophy? 
Yeah, so he was disguised as one of the in the, in the Dickies onesie, as Pat McAfee said. Pat McAfee had a lot of golden lines again tonight. Uh, again, just making this show bearable uh, to to watch. Honestly, the last few weeks, but yeah, it was Mad Cat Moss who was dressed up as one of the guys who carried the trophy down. Yeah, you think that was predictable? Yes, extremely predictable. But I will say this much: that Dickies onesie, a massive improvement as far as attire is concerned for for Mad Cat Moss. For the love of God, get rid of the short shorts. He could honestly dress like that in his match against Happy Corbin at uh, WrestleMania Backlash, and I would be incredibly, incredibly fine with it. Uh, Dutch, I do want to ask you, because this is something that uh, Sid brought up on the air, or off the air before we came on. I mean, it's a really, really bad look to pipe in this massive crowd pop noise when you can see that the audience is sitting on their hands behind it. I thought the same thing. I says, my God, it's like, it's like a, the biggest thing in the world, and they're just sitting there looking. But, I mean, they're, they're, they've been doing this for years, and it's been called out for years, but uh, apparently Kevin Dunn doesn't read anything about himself, I guess. But it's... Oh, if it's he did, a, he'd stop with the camera cuts already. To pipe that sound in, actually, they pipe it in too much. Yes. You can't even sometimes hear the announcers. I don't even listen to the announcers. Because they're not saying anything I want to hear anyway. How do you even have how do you even hear Pat McAfee? I mean, he's the one I pay attention to. I mean, I usually will always catch a good Pat McAfee line, but Rick beat me on this one. I don't I didn't hear anything that stood out to me on this show because that that crowd that can crowd noise was too overwhelming the entire night it was a lot of audio and just overall presentation issues for me and stuff that i've liked over the last couple of weeks i really did not like on this show and it made it came down to how deliberately presented presentation wise it felt like a tape show it felt like a tape show that they didn't put any effort in and stuff like the it's a it's it's I'm going to keep saying it. It was a law of diminishing returns on this show. It's like they booked this show based on what they've done over the last three weeks. Like even the Lacey Evans thing, which I, I, I complimented the first two weeks last week. I was like the, the music in the background was too much. And this week I was just like, okay, I'm over it now. Let's, let's move on. Let's, let's do something new now. Come on. Yeah. You, you didn't like SmackDown, right? Sid? Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. Okay. I kind of liked it, though. I'm gonna just... <laughs> we can't all agree on, this, you know, on the same thing. So. Uh, well, we'll disagree when we get to Rampage. But, I mean, it's it's the law of threes, right? All right, three Lacey Evans promos. Fine. Wrap it up. Done. Let's get her back. That's it. That's it. It's a rule of three. You go past three, you're, you're hurting yourself. And this one here didn't add anything to it. I mean, I, I liked, I mean, her delivery was great. I mean, she obviously poured her heart into it. I'm not, I'm not crapping on her performance by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, it's, it's too much at this point. Are we going to get another one again next week? Here's I what so. I don't, I, here's what I don't understand about this show as a whole. You know, <laughs> you know what, uh, you know what we saw on social media today said, I know you were on Twitter for a little bit. Hell you're, you're in the UK right now. They had this big show today out in the uk where that crowd was hot and raucous and was 
in every freaking moment. Why the hell did they not just tape tonight's SmackDown in the UK and run that back? Why did you have to do four hours in front of a dead-ass Albany, New York crowd to run a week later? Either they knew that Roman would get, you know, the kind of response that he did because everybody that went to that show seems like they were telling me he got like an Austin Rock type of pop and they don't want that too soon. They still want to present him as a heel and they saw that coming. Or I don't know the reason because I thought that that was a simple thing to do. Tape it earlier today and deliver the show Instead of giving, you know, the people of Albany a four hour show where basically you copied and pasted the couple of segments from last week. So they literally had to sit there and see the same people twice. And uh, I just this is just simple, simple things that they just missed the mark on. Again, it's this is their most watched show. It's their it's on Fox national television. You would think they would put in a little bit more effort, even if it is a tape show that they put in a little bit more effort. And it's honestly the talent's the one that suffers the most. Well, the, us and those who actually watch the show. Uh, one final question for you, Dutch, on uh, SmackDown tonight. Uh, uh, Sid, you as well. We finally got to see Raquel Rodriguez in the ring, uh, her first match. Dutch, what did you think of her presentation tonight? She walked down the aisle with no personality, just a big smile. And we kind of got that. And then got in the ring and really... <clears throat> Match was okay, and but I think they're going to have to do more, more with that girl, because she's a big girl to start off with. <clears throat> so they're going to have to, they're going to push her. They're going to have to put her with the big dogs quick to get her started. And I don't know <clears throat> how long was she down there? Three years at uh, at. Uh, she debuted in 2020. I think it was early 2020. It was when she was on NXT, right? And then she was in the performance center for like five years before that. No, it was it was only three or so. But yeah, she actually was like on TV for in 2020. She she's been with the company. I I just interviewed her. I did the research. She's been with the company for five years. She was at the PC for three, and then she's been on NXT for the last two years or so. Trust me. Well. The jury's out on her. She's a big, big, impressive-looking girl. So, but it's the story they put her in. Whatever they they put her in. I just went to WWE.com. She signed in 2016. The end of 2016. She was at the PC in 17, That's four, 18, she's and 19. Four years. That's four years before she ever debuted. She, that is, that is, that is. End of 2016. In, she worked the PC in, in the Performance in Center for and five, It was less she, than four years she before. She in the Performance Center for five years before she got called up here. That's okay, what I'm up saying. Up to the main roster. I'm talking about t- on television. It was three years. We're crossing our signal here. Can we stop arguing over semantics? It's not quantum physics here. But I'm saying she debuted in the May Young Classic in 2017. Just because she was consistently on in 2020 doesn't mean anything, really. He's talking about how long has she been doing this. He's got to be right. You know that. He's (laughs) one of those MLW guys. or What's that radio station you work for? MLW is major league. (laughs) Uh, Hey, we're 30 minutes in, so let's let's move this thing. I was going to say, I think the biggest problem I have with the presentation of Raquel is they're, again, they're changing everything that got her over in NXT, Sid. They they told her, 
they had for for four years they're trying to get her to stop smiling at the performance center and what's the first thing they have her do when she gets up there is put on this stupid ass grin and go out there and 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 try to perform the only time we saw the actual raquel rodriguez tonight was after she hit layla with the slam there and then she had that fierce look on her face and then as the referee was counting three, it was like, oh, wait, crap, I'm supposed to smile as I do this. And she put that big-ass grin on as before the three count came down. I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't help her at no, all. And it doesn't, it doesn't help her either. My biggest issue with this matchup is why did Raquel need to sell? If she's, she's not if she's not versing anybody that signed with the company, which she wasn't, she was first in Layla Gray, now known as Kat Cardoza. I didn't understand why Raquel needed to sell at all. She should have went in. She should have hit a big boot, done the Chicano bomb, and get out of there. But just because she's a baby face doesn't mean she needs to sell when she is taller and looks like an absolute monster against anyone you put in there with her. She did not need to sell here in our first match. Unless it's a, unless this was an audition for Layla Gray as well, but I don't know. That surprised the hell out of me that she sold anything. Uh, so let's talk about the show that was actually good tonight. Uh, the the first time that I think I was I I was really happy that I was watching professional wrestling instead of the NFL draft tonight. Sid was Swerve and Darby. These two have incredible chemistry with one another. They put on a hell of a show. There were two spots in there that I'm sitting here going, I don't know how Darby's not dead at this point. And that's the suicide dive that he caught the knee on from Strickland, which was very, very well-timed. And then the vertical suplex onto the outside uh, on top of the ramp. I mean, this dude is crazy, and he is ticking up his bump card very, very, very quickly. Uh, but this was a really, really good match that they uh, protected Swerve in. Yeah, Dutch. How, how old is he? How is that kid? Darby? He's not very yep. old. Google search. How old do you think? Just estimate, 30, 28? 29. Well, bumps like that takes its toll. If you can't take them, I mean, he took it on TV. I hope he never takes it again. <laughs> uh, he's going to take a lot of them. Well, he's asking for it. Because when he gets up about 50, he's going to be limping ass along. I limp ass along now, but I'm a lot older than that. So at least I... I put it off for a while. You can't take bumps like that. And he's a, he's a, not even a big guy. So he don't he, he doesn't have any meat on that little butt of his to protect his, you know, his backbone, his hips, his spine. And when he jams a nerve, I mean it can happen in Well that, a lot. that's why that's why he wears tights underneath the shorts. But uh, you know, regard you know, a little extra a little extra padding there for him. But. He needs it. Uh, they did some really good moves. I will say that. Yeah, I like that. Come up in the in the in the back chancery. I like that one. Yeah, that was good stuff. And I loved the I loved the interaction between these two guys afterwards as well, Sid. Because obviously Ricky Starks comes down and he ends up uh, costing the distraction. I love, by the way, Darby's pin instead of like the classic schoolboy or the roll up. Like that actually looks like it traps somebody down. Right. And like that actually looks like that could catch somebody off guard. And once you're in it, there's really nothing else that you can do. And I love that pin that he does so much better than a regular schoolboy or a cradle or anything like that. But I love the interaction between those two afterwards uh, where Swerve said, hey, look, we're cool. I'm going to go find power. Uh, Keith Lee and, and, and whoop some Team Taz ass. I thought all of this really, really worked to open up the show tonight. 
Do you think Sting is entirely necessary with Derby at this point? I think he's there for more of like the casual fans. They see Sting and they make that connection and they want to get more invested and find out more and see Darby more because Sting is there. So yeah. I, I like the whole the whole partnership. I mean, you, you can there's some people that would rather Sting not be with Darby and there's others that, you know, understand it. But either or i don't you know what however you feel is however you feel i really enjoyed this match i thought that this was a great way to kick off the show these guys worked really well with each other um the pin is called the last supper and i love that and i loved i love the way swerve sold it he sold it like he was basically trapped in it and i love them protecting him where ricky starts trying to get involved and staying trying to like keep it even between the two guys make it between these two guys and walking ricky starks off and i like the fact Ricky Stark was on commentary because he had the feud with Darby Allen last year. He has a feud going on with Swerve Strickland. So it was a nice input to have him there and have him get involved to protect Swerve in the loss. And then their interaction in the back was very cool because you you kind of established that on Dynamite with their promo where they talked about their past and Tony Schiavone called them friends and he was like, no, we're not really friends. We just beat the hell out of each other. And they did that in the match. And then after the match, they showed respect for each other. So that was a good way to kind of move past this and still you know continue the feud with team taz swerve and keith lee but that used to be a staple of the old territorial wrestling sometimes you go by and you shake the guy's hand you let a little time go by and then all of a sudden you spring it on them one turns and nobody expected it see i i do i do like that they remained friends and respected each other and, and after they had a hell of a match like that and it, and it made sense. That's what I think wrestling is forgetting. They're not making any sense at all, especially Smack, SmackDown. And it's the number one show. But WWE, uh, get me off this real quick. WWE, they don't care if they make sense or not. I've said it several times. I said it once tonight. They don't make sense. They make content. I, I think that's uh, pretty much abundant. They think they're an episode of The Simpsons, right? They think that it just goes... Week to week to week to week. And what happened last week? Oh, hey, the house blew up last week. And then, heck, guess what? Sunday, 8 o'clock rolls around. Look, there's the Simpsons house right there. Everything's fine. Wait, didn't Hans Molman just get run over by a car last week and now he's walking this week? Yeah, it doesn't freaking matter because nothing matters from a day-to-day basis. That's how WWE more often than not tends to treat their shows. Sid, real quick, one thing that you brought up that I absolutely agreed with you. I love how Swerve sold The Last Supper because so often, this is my biggest pet, one of my biggest pet peeves in wrestling is when somebody gets rolled up, cradled up, or whatever, and they just lay there like a dead fish, and the three count comes out. It's like, can you fight out of it like you're actually trapped? For the love of Jesus. Show some resistance. I I love Shayna Baszler. I think she's incredibly talented. I hate the fact that she is beaten so easily nowadays, and it pisses me off that her stock has dropped so far from where she was pre-pandemic. But tonight she eats a face full of turnbuckle. She just puts her head hand over her head and then just lays there for the three count. I'm like, can you flop one one time, please, please? I'm not saying she's a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. Just kick your legs a little bit. Just give me something. I know you're supposed to be like, oh, I got hit in my head. I got hit in my head. I know your booking sucks. I'm sorry, but I, I think she's better than that. And I wish it's again, it's a little thing. But it's the little things that make 
the show that much better. What's well, we gonna say? And I say they'll believe you give them a reason to disbelieve. Yes. And, that, and to disbelieve. Finally, you say, ah, hell with it. <laughs> but if you take two masters and they're looking like they're digging at each other, you'll get into it. But you gotta convince them. Middle of the show tonight, we saw this this baddies combo with Jade Cargill and Red Velvet and, and Kira Hogan. I love this team. I wish we had a little bit more time to talk about them. I'm very, very interested in seeing where they go. But, you know, them actually giving a reason for Red Velvet to be with Jade Cargill and her heel turn and everything like that. I love this combination. Again, we talk about little things, SP3. This is really good work that they're doing with these three ladies. This was my favorite part of the show. I love the key. I love Swerve Strickland versus Darby Allen opener. That was the match of the night on either show. But this was my favorite thing on Friday night for professional wrestling. Jay Cargill in the baddies. Just they look like money. They were in sequence. They look so smooth together. Then they explain the whole red velvet heel turn, which is a great a great point for commentary commentary can help fill in the holes of storytelling explaining that red velvet has had a change in attitude since the boston crowd turned on her when she first willow nightingale and then willow nightingale was on the other side of the ring i love the representation seeing five african-american women out there being represented is just beautiful to watch and just the whole presentation of the baddies they look dominant i would have loved for trisha dora to have any bit of offense her debut but this was all about putting over jay cargill red velvet and kira hogan the crowd responded to them well they looked like powerhouses this was a dominant performance and a great showcase for them give me more of the baddies by the way shout out to pat mcafee because you talk about filling in the gaps with commentary it was a quick comment that he made tonight that i think maybe a lot of people missed but i loved when he called Shayna baszler the hired gun and Natalia, the vet with the cash, because finally somebody decided to give us an explanation for why those two rivals for the past year and a half are now suddenly tagging together with Natalia, just basically buying off Shayna Baszler. Well, was- that doesn't make any sense from what Natalia has been presented as the Hart family has never been about paying money or anything like that this would make more sense if it was charlotte flair with Shayna baszler not natalia with Shayna baszler i didn't say it was a good explanation (laughs) i didn't say it was a good explanation give me something give me something all right they gave they gave me a rib bone with a little bit of a little bit of meat on the end of it all right they gave me something it could have been just pat mcafee throwing that out there on his own Somebody decided to make an attempt, and I appreciate it. You talked about the baddie section being your favorite thing tonight. I'm surprised because, my goodness, that entire segment with Danhausen and Hook and Tony Nese getting involved. Guys, it's happening. We're getting Hookhausen, and I am so damn excited for it. I am so freaking excited for it. Hook that shit into my veins immediately, Dutch. So you like that? I do, which means you hated it. No, no, no. It was, <laughs> I think they're pushing a hook just a little bit too fast. Is what I'm thinking. I think him talking should have been a bigger deal. Then all of a sudden he just starts talking with with uh, Housen. 
but uh, I do I do like what he did tonight, and he still don't like Housen. So his his character is is over. But I, I and I would have saved uh, Tony Nice because he's the guy that can make that kid. Because I think they threw him in there, and maybe not. But you know, if he could go in there, and what's going to get a heel a lot of heat? It's when they do beat the living crap out of Hook. They'll be over. That's all they got to do. See, that's the old school. You get a guy over and you you have the right heel beat him up. And the heel gets heat and people want to see the baby face, you know, get even with it. That's how we used to make money. So at least uh, Tony Khan, he understands that, maybe. But I think Hook is – he's money waiting to be printed is what I think. I, I know Sid agrees, and at least, you know, they were very, very patient with this, right? Because it would not – I think they would have made a mistake had they had Hook go ahead and shake Dan Housen's hand tonight. It was perfect to have him go, F you, dude. You just wanted to fight me 10 seconds ago, and then you got your ass beat, and now all of a sudden you want to be my buddy. Like, screw that. I think all of this played out perfectly to me, and they are taking their time with this pairing. You know what I like when Housen was trying to put the curse on him, but Hook was standing behind him. Yeah, he did. Uh, I'm kind of catching on to Hook uh, to House a little bit to kind of like him. So yeah, because voice that way, but he, that is perfect. That was great storytelling because this whole rivalry started with him trying to curse Hook. And he thinks that he cursed uh, Smart Mark and Tony Nese, but it was really they were scared of Hook. It, it was it was just perfect, and I love the Hookhausen name. This just works. I, I'm totally sold on this. They need to push this forward, continue telling the story, and this is what you know. So there's some critics out there that says AEW doesn't know how to tell stories, and this is a comedic one, but it's still a good story that's being played out over a number of weeks. Compare this comedic storyline to what the comedic storyline we're getting on Monday Night Raw, which is all of this marriage crap with the 24-7 title. Give me Hookhausen 89 million times out of 100 before I ever have to watch another 24-7 title thing. We appreciate you guys tuning in tonight. We appreciate you guys tuning in tonight. Uh, Samoa Joe looked great again. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out our new timing here so we can kind of make sure we get all the important stuff in there. Uh, but we do got to say good night. We appreciate all you guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in again. We'll be back next week. I think Rampage is on earlier next week. Uh, I think a six o'clock start time, I believe, is what I saw. Yes. Yes. Love it. Oh, which means we'll be on at 10.05 after SmackDown, which means we get a little break, right? So we get to watch Rampage, then we have a little bit of a break, eat some dinner, come back, watch SmackDown, and we'll be on at 10.05. We'll see you guys then. This has been Smack Talk on the Sports Keto Wrestling YouTube, Twitter, Facebook channel. Have a wonderful weekend. See ya.